Chapter 19 of From Bangkok to Bombay, Siam, French Indochina, Burma, Hindustan, by Frank G. Carpenter. This recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Betty B. Traveling on India's Railways. If you want to get an idea of what railway travel in India is like, join me in my trip from Calcutta to Benares. We go to the station in a Gary hauled by lean horses and driven by a half-starved Bengali in turban and loincloth. We are taking the night express and it is nine o'clock when we reach the station, a large building covering a block with long waiting rooms extending from the train shed. The railway stations in the cities of India are, by the way, surprisingly fine. Both the main depots at Calcutta are large and convenient. Benares and Delhi have handsome buildings, and Victoria Station at Bombay costs more than a million dollars and is almost, if not quite, the equal of the Union Station at Washington. Even at the small towns, one finds substantial stone buildings surrounded by flower gardens. The platforms are of stone filled in with cement and raised to the level of the car platforms so that one does not have to go up or down steps in boarding or leaving a train. When we enter the Calcutta station, we find the stone floors covered with natives, both men and women, sitting or lying about. Here they sprawl at full length on the flags and there squat in groups, their backs against the railing between the waiting rooms and the train shed. As these people see me taking notes, they pull closer around them the white sheets in which they are wrapped, shielding their dark faces from the gaze of the foreigner. Some have covered their heads and have fallen asleep. Many cannot sleep for excitement over the pilgrimage they are making to the sacred city of Benares. Notice this woman near me. She lies on the floor with her head on a bag, so covered that only her thin face can be seen. As I look, her husband, a black Hindu in dirty white cotton clothing, lies down beside her, puts his head on the bag, and is soon fast asleep. There, the gong rings. A train is called, and the third-class passengers push their way through to the cars. Some carry baggage upon their heads. Others have bundles on shoulders and backs. Nearly all the men are barefooted, and all wear turbans, caps, or handkerchiefs on their heads. Their bodies are only half covered by the white sheets draped around them, while their bare legs remind me of those foolish lines. The poor benighted Hindu, he does the best he can do. He sticks to caste from first to last, for pants he makes his skin do. Mixed with this motley crowd are Mohammedans in long gowns, Parsees with hats like inverted waste paper baskets, native and British soldiers, and liveried servants of civil officials. It is one of the strangest crowds to be found anywhere, and the white clothing so predominates that in the dim light the effect is somewhat ghost-like. We sit down a moment while our servant buys the tickets, checks the baggage, and secures our seats in the train. I have found the servant problem rather acute since I came to India. I have already had three bearers, as these personal servants are called, the first almost froze to death at Darjeeling. He was too lazy to get me what I wanted, and after I discharged him, I found that some of my woolen clothes were missing. The second was a dusky liar who wore a gorgeous turban as big as a peck measure. He was clad partially in European dress 
and i got rid of him because my pajamas and stockings were fast disappearing there was also a little trouble as to a gold sovereign which i lost as soon as i mentioned it he produced the coin saying he had found it in the outside pocket of my overcoat i now have a tall fine-looking chap with a swarthy complexion and an enormous black moustache he wears a costly turban and a long gown belted in at the waist i pay him thirty-three cents a day but of course like all the bearers here he has his commissions abdullah as i call him goes in advance through the gates and when we reach the cars we find our pillows and bedding spread out in our compartment in india everyone carries his own sleeping conveniences while traveling the first-class cars have leather-covered benches on which the passengers beds are made up by their bearers in the morning the servants will come in from the third-class cars to roll up the comforts and rugs and pack them into the canvas bags carried for the purpose when they are not crowded the indian cars are comfortable enough they are built on the english plan and are about two-thirds the length of our cars but a little bit wider each is divided into compartments which look more like long boxes than anything else and are walled on two sides by glass windows and doors as a rule there are no corridors so that when one wants to go into the diner he must wait for a station get out of his own compartment walk along the station platform and step from it into the dining car if the train is an express he may have to stay there an hour or so i remember quite vividly an alarming experience on my first trip to india when i was shut up tight in my railway compartment it was on one of the trunk lines and the train was going at thirty miles an hour and making but few stops i was getting myself comfortable for a long journey when happening to glance from my book to the lighted oil lamp above i noticed that the glass globe was broken the swaying of the train splashed the oil up near the flame and i feared that at any minute the kerosene would catch fire the lamp would break and a pint of burning oil would come down upon the carpet of the little box of a room in which i was locked i looked wildly around for a bell rope nowadays all the compartments have poles to stop the trains but if this one had such a convenience i certainly could not find it i examined the walls and the floor of the compartment and sought everywhere for some means of summoning aid or signaling the train to stop it was in vain and i had to wait half an hour or more before we drew into a station and i was able to call the guard and have the lamp taken out had there been an explosion i suppose i should have to stay and get burned up or else must have jumped through the car window while the train was going full speed the central india road has some cars with corridors running along one side from end to end into the corridors open two berth compartments equipped with electric fans lights and bells there are also servants compartments connected with these cars at each end of the coach is a bathroom with a big tub and one can have a wash as he goes flying across the country at twenty-five miles an hour i say twenty-five miles that is rather fast for india many of the trains do not make twenty miles and some not over fifteen per hour while an express only now and then speeds up to thirty or so everything here is run oriental fashion which means that tomorrow or the day after will do as well as today 
it is interesting to watch the traffic from these indian trains now and then you pass an animal car filled with camels or catch a glimpse of an elephant gazing out on the landscape sliding past him there are stock trains filled with the sacred humped cattle of hindustan and i have seen cars of polo ponies sheep and wild beasts in cages dogs are carried on trains at the rate of twelve cents for every fifty miles no dogs can be taken into the passenger cars except with the consent of all the occupants and then only on payment of double fare for the pet some of the baggage cars have dog compartments and cats monkeys rabbits and guinea pigs are sent along at dog rates not long ago a woman came to one of the stations with a turtle in her hand and was about to enter the car with it when the guard stopped her she showed him the turtle and asked him whether she could take it inside without paying two fares he replied yes cats as dogs and monkeys as dogs but turtles as fish and there's no rule against fish in traveling over india i have found the cars universally well filled every train has its first second and third class accommodations in the first travel british officials americans and well-to-do english tourists with now and then a rajah or some high native official in the second are the poorer classes of the british army officers of second rank and perhaps prosperous natives while the masses of the people all ride third class another class known as the intermediate is provided for british soldiers and other europeans who cannot afford to pay second-class fares and yet do not want to travel with the natives the indian nationalists bitterly resent the fact that the natives have been excluded from these intermediate cars as to the women passengers there are special first and second-class cars for them many higher caste hindu ladies would consider themselves disgraced if they showed their faces in public and in india no mohammedan woman goes about without her veil the women pull their shawls over their faces as they walk through the stations though at the same time they may leave their ankles and calves entirely bare their ankles are often loaded with bands of silver and gold and their slippers may be embroidered in gold thread attached to the train going up to darjeeling was a car entirely covered with a circus tent canvas and filled with hindu ladies they were riding through the finest scenery in the world but for all that they could see of it they might as well have been tied up in leather bags and sent on as mail however no man caught a glimpse of them so i suppose they were satisfied severe penalties are imposed upon any man european or native who even attempts to enter the women's compartments european women may if they desire to do so travel in the cars with their husbands but this is not generally a comfortable arrangement for either the men's compartments are uncurtained and in this hot climate the first thing a man does on boarding a sleeping car is to get into his pajamas even though it may be some time before he is ready to turn in the white ants or termites used to be the great enemies of the railroad in india for they ate the wooden ties and the telegraph poles they chewed up the posts at the stations and if a pile of timber were left unprotected it would soon be carried away or so hollowed out that it dropped to pieces on being touched this is why in thousands of miles of travel over india i have seen so many telegraph poles made of iron 
and so few of wood steel ties were used for a time until it was found that creosoting the wood keeps out the ants and so wooden ties thus treated are now set in the roadbeds the prevailing idea in america is that the british hold all the good jobs in india this is not true of the railroads many good places are held by the natives although the most important positions still go to the british they are indian construction laborers indian brakemen and station agents with now and then an indian engineer a large proportion of the station clerks telegraph operators and conductors are anglo-indians or mixed bloods who have been trained at the government schools and who make competent minor officials it was seventy years ago that the british opened the first line of railroad in india connecting bombay with the silk village of thana twenty-one miles away today there are thirty-seven thousand miles of track or more than in any other land in asia india's mileage is surpassed only by the mileages of canada russia and the united states china with a population about equal to that of india has but seven thousand miles of railroads yet india's railroad development is small compared with our two hundred and sixty four thousand miles for a population only about one-third as large as hers or with canada's one mile of track for every twenty-three inhabitants the british are now at work on a big program of extending and improving the railroads of the country and important lines are under construction in the early days as there was not enough private capital available in india for railroad building the government subsidized various corporations by the end of eighteen sixty contracts had been made with eight of these british companies for the construction of five thousand miles of line this scheme laid the foundation of the railway system as it exists today the government guaranteed to the corporations a five per cent return on their investment and a free grant of all the land needed in return the companies agreed to share with the government any surplus after dividend requirements had been met later on the native rulers were encouraged to construct railways in their territories it was not until nineteen hundred that the railroads of british india showed a gain for the government but since then the profits have been growing from year to year as the contracts of the guaranteed companies expired their lines were purchased and then released to the companies on terms more profitable to the state thus there grew up in india a somewhat complicated railway situation there are now in the whole country some twenty five thousand miles of state lines many of which are operated by corporations five thousand miles of native state roads and some seven thousand miles operated by assisted companies with the rise of the nationalistic spirit in india has come a demand that the railroads be managed directly by the state rather than by english corporations domiciled either in england or in india it is probable that as their contracts expire other roads will like the east indian and the great indian peninsula two of the most important railways in the country be taken over by the government the railroads are a storm center for a good deal of the unrest in india today gandhi the great non-cooperator maintains that railroads carry man away from his maker in the course of a talk i had with one of the leading railroad officials in india he said 
one of the striking features of the unrest just now is an anti-railroad crusade carried on by the revolutionary agitators they claim that the roads were built with british money to rob the natives they say that the dividends and interests go out of india and that the railways are a bad thing for the people not only in a money way but because they imperil the sanctity of caste the masses can always be stirred up by the idea that their religion is attacked and that the hindu extremists tell them that the railroads are breaking down caste distinctions and that damnation is sure to follow they advise the people not to patronize them and say they should be given over to the native leaders who could provide accommodations better suited to their religious prejudices yet in spite of the agitators the travel keeps up and the third-class traffic is increasing much faster than the railways can provide accommodations for it indeed the continued overcrowding of third-class cars is another of the grievances the indians have against the british but are the extremists not right in saying that the railroads are affecting caste barriers i asked yes to a certain extent that is the case when we first began to build railways the natives demanded that special cars be furnished to segregate certain castes the hindus and the mohammedans would not sit together and the brahmins demanded separate accommodations after they found that they could not get the cars they tacitly decided that caste must be ignored while they were on the train so the native apparently drops such prejudices when he enters the car although he assumes them the more rigorously when he leaves our pilgrimage traffic is enormous continued the official some authorities estimate that every year more than one million hindus journey to benares to bathe in the ganges while in some years eight hundred thousand go in one week to allahabad it used to take weeks and months for the average pilgrim to go to benares or some other place of pilgrimage the devout hindu now finds he can make it by rail in a few hours or days we cater to this pilgrim traffic and do all we can to accommodate it moreover we have what might be called a heavy traffic during the wedding season on many of the roads the crowds are then so great we cannot carry them we make the rates as low as possible and we have on the whole the lowest passenger fares in the world the third-class fares are only half a cent a mile yet this is our most profitable passenger traffic and largely pays our dividends end of chapter nineteen